Welcome to Divorce Explained, the podcast where we answer your questions and navigate the process of divorce together. Sharing real stories and personal experiences, this is your guide through it all. With your hosts, family law specialist Steve Benmore and divorce lawyer and strategist Leanne Townsend. So today we are talking about common law relationships, which I don't know statistically whether they're on the rise. I suspect that they may be more prevalent than, you know, years ago that there are, you know, people, less people are getting actually legally married. Um, And, you know, it's something that um, is treated differently. And we're going to get into that than a marriage. There's some differences and a lot of people are not aware of those differences. Uh, so I think it's important uh, for listeners who are out there who are either in a common law relationship or thinking of being in one to listen to what we have to say today to understand uh, what that means and what their rights and obligations might be. You know, um, we've done this for, uh, I think, over a year now, right, Leanne? Yeah. And uh, it's been very gr- It's been amazing. It's been conversational. It's been cooperative. It's been educational. I've learned, you've learned, our listeners have learned. Um, Let's mix it up a little bit today and let's create uh, two scenarios uh, and use the two scenarios to highlight the answer to the question, what's the difference between being married and being common law, okay? So let's call it um, Fred and Wilma who are married, for those of you that don't know the reference, that would be the Flintstones. So there's Fred and Wilma who are married. And then there's Jack and Diane. Who sang that song? John Cougar Mellencamp. Thank you. Ding, ding, ding. Good answer. (laughs) So Jack and Diane live right next door to Fred and Wilma. And they both have lived next door to each other for 10 years. They both have two children. They both own their house. Although we don't know who's really on title. We'll figure that out later. Okay, so 10 year relationship, each of them with one another. No, it's a a monogamous relationship. They live together, they're committed to each other. And let's add to that, both of them have two children. Now, What's the difference? Well, let's start with the basics. Fred and Wilma went down to City Hall 10 years plus a day ago and paid $75 to get a marriage license. And they were married under Ontario law and they are considered husband and wife according to the legal definition of spouses. Although for our listeners, they may not know this, Ontario law does not define the word husband and wife, if you could believe it. We use those words all the time, husband, wife. Not defined because marriage law, divorce law, family law, estates law does not use the words husband and wife. They use the word spouse. Now, you know, 20 years ago, if someone said, I'd like you to meet my spouse, they'd be like, oh, I guess you're not married. If somebody said, I'd like you to meet my partner, people would scratch their head and go, oh, you must be either a same-sex relationship or you guys are in business together. The (laughs) word, by the way, partner is not defined either. Just spouse. Okay, let's talk about Jack and Diane. Same everything as Fred and Wilma. They just didn't pay $75 to City Hall 10 
years plus a day ago to get a marriage license. And so they are considered in Ontario a common law relationship. So um, what else should we talk about in terms of laying the backdrop between these two people? What else do we need to think about? Um, I, don't, I think those are the main issues that are going to be affected by the difference in their position. And let's make this really easy. Um, in both cases, Wilma and Diane are the primary breadwinners. Talk about being politically correct and very progressive. But here you go. 2021, the wives or the female spouses in those two homes are the primary breadwinners because they got lucky enough to get into medical school 13 years ago, graduated, got great jobs, and the decision was made that Jack and Fred would have a lower level of income and be more involved in the care and upbringing of their children. And so while Diane and Wilma worked out of the house for 60 hours a week, Fred and Jack were the ones that were home, took paternity leave, then became the ones that drove and picked up the kids from school, took care of all of the domestic things until Wilma and, John and Diane came home from work, in which case everything became sort of even-handed weekends, holidays. Okay. And maybe we can add that the, the title of both their homes are in the women's names, so that Wilma and Diane are the ones on title to the homes. Okay. So now... Wilma comes to me and Diane goes to you coincidentally yesterday and say, uh, I'm really not happy in my marriage. I want out. And I want to know before I tell my husband that I'm out, what are my rights and remedies? So I'm going to tell our listeners what my answer will be to Wilma. And you're going to do that for Diane. So All right. here we go, Wilma. Wilma, you were married from the date of marriage to the date of separation. I'll say that again. From the date of marriage to the date of separation, there was a whole bunch of changes in your asset and debts. You may have had assets when you got married. You might have sold them. You may have bought new ones. It may have gone up, gone down, up and down, up and down. The law is this, Wilma. Whatever you were worth on the date of marriage, whatever you were worth on the date of separation, the delta, the difference, of course, subtracting any debts that are associated, that difference is called a net family property. Whatever the change was, you owe Fred half. If from the date of marriage to the date of separation, you grew in value by $100, you owe him 50. If he grew by $40, he owes you 20. So... 50 minus 20 is 30. He keeps what he keeps. You keep what you keep. You owe him 30 bucks. Why? Because your net worth went up by $30 more than his or whatever the difference was. So to equalize it in an Ontario Wilma, we call that equalization of net family property, which is just another way of saying we equalize the growth during the relationship. Wilma says to people, hold on a second. This is in his name. This is in my name. This is in his name. This is in my name. I've got more debt. He's got more assets. His RSPs are more than mine. Blah, 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 blah. Short answer. Doesn't matter if it's in your name or in his name. The overall growth must be equal, which, by the way, includes the home. So the fact that the home is in your name, Wilma, 
doesn't mean you get to keep the home. It just basically means that when we calculate the two different piles of assets and debts, yours is going to be a bit higher because you've got the, one of the biggest assets in your pile and he doesn't. So we're going to equalize that. Now, I'm not talking about actual ownership and so forth. That'll be dealt with later or occupation of the home. But in terms of property division, that is the law, Wilma. Now to you for Diane. Okay, do you want to deal with the children um, and support issues as a separate thing, or do you want to? I'm thinking that the people, our viewers might want to know like A to A, then we'll go to B to B. So let's just okay. deal with property. Okay. This is, by the way, I'm letting the viewers know, I took the easy one. Leanne has the harder one. <laughs> you did. I, I, I noticed that, Steve. <laughs> so, and it is harder, and it's a different situation, a very different situation, and a lot of people don't understand this. Um, and I think it may be because in California and show, places where we watch TV or see movies, the property rights may be different at common law, and I find a lot of people come to me with uh, a misunderstanding of their property rights at common law. So when Diane comes to see me, um, property, first of all, generally, if you are in a common law relationship, you don't have property rights like you do if you are married. Um, we don't worry about net family property. We don't worry about equalization. All of those things only apply to couples who are married. So those things aren't going, don't play into it the same way. So uh, it doesn't mean that you can't make a claim on property, but you don't have a, a equalization and property rights the same way that Wilma had as Steve described. So Diane is in uh, a better position um, than Jack, if, you know, with respect to property, well, assuming the home is the biggest asset. But and you said it's in her name. It's in her name. So first off, at common law, generally, with respect to property, title rules. So if the home is in Diane's name, then Diane um, owns the home, and that would go to Diane. If Diane has an RRSP or Diane has a pension, those would go to Diane upon the separation of the parties. If Jack has, you know, a bank account and a car, and, and maybe Jack ha maybe Jack inherited a whole whack of money and, and has a, a big investment account, um, that would be Jack's. Um, and so this, you know, this calculation of net family property does not factor in whoever has title or, you know, to whatever the investment is or to the property, that goes to that person. Now, Jack's, we're going to say Jack was the bread, or Jack was at home. You know, as Steve described it at the beginning, Jack was, you know, t the primary caregiver while Diane was working on her career. And while Diane did her part in the evenings and on weekends and whatnot, Jack still spent a lot of time you know, ten they've been together ten years. Um, he may argue he's been the primary caregiver of those children. He ran the household. He made a lot of sacrifices uh, to his own career so that Diane could work her longer hours as a doctor and she could really build up her career and her earning potential and her ability to buy property and these sorts of things. And so Jack may say, "Wait a minute." Um, you know, that home, Diane wouldn't have been able to, to buy this home and 
have it in her name if I hadn't been doing stuff at, on the home front to take care of the children and run the household and make life easier for Diane while she was out there earning her money, you know, as a doctor. And in that type of situation, Jack may make a claim under what we call constructive trust and unjust enrichment, which is a common law claim. Um, and he may succeed, um, but he's going to have to establish some very specific criteria in order to succeed. It's not just a prima facie entitlement the way that Fred you know, will have through his equalization. So it's a very different situation. There's a question and we will answer that. Don't worry, you continue. Leanne. Okay. Um, so, so essentially, I would be I would advise Diane that you know, look, um, the assets that are in your name, the liabilities, it also works the same way with debt. If debt is in Diane's name, then Diane has that debt. If debt is in Jack's name, Jack has that debt. So I would advise her that, you know, that's how it's going to work that the property, it's separate based on title, if it's joint, if they own something jointly, if they have a joint investment account, um, or if the home were joint, um, you know, then it would be split 50-50. But title rules the day, and that's how assets are generally divided. But the jack may make a claim. He may try and make a claim with respect to the, the house or to some, to perhaps to everything, depending on the situation. And she needs to be aware of that. And we need to sort out how strong his claim may or may not be. You answered that bang on that would be like a family law 101 answer it was excellent i have almost nothing to add other than to uh punctuate that last point about jointly held assets and debts a lot of people are very confused in the common law domain the joint ownership of assets or debts trumps family law so that we're clear if jack and diane went and bought a boat and the boat cost $25,000 and it was funded fully by Diane. And Diane put the boat in both their names. And she came to you, Leanne, and said, what about the boat? What would you say? I would say, Diane, it's in both your names. So um, you know, title is split. So, you know, Jack is going to have a claim to half of the value of the boat. Um, you can either sell the boat and divide the money or you can buy him out or he can buy her out exactly and she says to you but wait a minute i bought the boat i just put him on title you say what i say legally um if he wants his half you there's nothing that you're going to be able to to do about that i mean sometimes people you know out of the goodness of their hearts because they feel that you know what you know, it's even though they're splitting up, maybe it's somewhat amicable. And Jack feels, you know what, like, she's right, she did put all the money in, I don't, you know, I'm not going to make that claim, then, you know, you can have an agreement where, you know, Jack forgoes his right there, and, and Diane doesn't have to buy him out, or they don't have to sell the boat. But if Jack wants to enforce that he's 50% owner, then Diane is going to be stuck with um, having to either sell it and pay him out or buy him out outright. And I would go one step further. And I would say to Diane, be careful what you ask for. You sue Jack on the basis that you put the money into that boat and he didn't contribute and you got the boat as a result of that. Jack's going to come back and say, you see that house worth $2 million? Yeah, she paid for it all. 
but she would have never been able to pay for it all had I not been at home with the kids for the last 10 years raising them while she was able to build her career, earn the money to buy the house. And she's going to come back after Jack and say, I want half the house. So be careful what you ask for. So now let's turn to the next subject. The next subject is support. So I tell, Wil I tell Wilma, yeah, that's what I'm giving advice to. I tell Wilma, Wilma, support. You're the doctor. You've been earning the money all these years. Uh, Fred, he does have a job. He makes much lesser income than you. Uh, he's probably going to say that when you two split up, he'll never be able to have the standard of living that the two of you had when you were together because your income was the major source of the family's standard of living. And there's a very high probability that if we were to take this case in front of a judge, uh, Wilma, a, the judge would order you to pay support, spousal support to Fred. But more importantly, a judge might even order you to pay child support to Fred. Why? Because there should be, for the benefit of the kids, an equal standard of living in both homes. And if you only paid spousal support to him, there would still be this mammoth disparity of standards of living in the two homes. And the way to equalize that through the child support guidelines is to calculate what he would pay you and what you would pay him, and then you would pay him the differential. Is it mandatory? No. Is it practical and commonplace? Yes. So, Wilma, be prepared to pay support, both child support and spousal support, to Fred if you go home today and say, Fred, I'm leaving you. And my advice to Diane would be exactly the same. And um, the reason for that is that in a common law relationship where you have, even if you didn't live together, but if you have children, um, there is a, a child support obligation. So the child support obligation would really be the same situation as what Steve just described with Fred and Wilma. And additionally, because uh, if even if they didn't have children, the fact that they lived together for three years, they lived together 10 years in our example, um, Diane would have uh, a potential spousal support obligation to Jack if Jack was earning dramatically less. If they were earning roughly the same, that would be different. Or if Jack was earning more, but in our example, um, Diane was the primary breadwinner. So just like Wilma, Diane would also have a spousal support obligation to Jack, which is really not going to be any different than Wilma's. It'll be dependent on their respective incomes and situations, but the law in that area will be the same. And uh, I, I completely concur with you. And, and, and I want the viewers to understand the little nuance that you threw in there, which is the threshold window on support, specifically spousal support is triggered by three years of cohabitation or child in common. And if you do not meet the precondition of one or both, the spousal support rights do not follow. And that's really important to understand because the word on the street is all over the map. Some people think it's five years, one year. Well, it's three years of continuous cohabitation or child in common. And that triggers spousal support. Child support is triggered by the birth of the child. So you don't have to worry about the cohabitation period. Okay, last question. Wilma comes to me 
and says, well, what about the kids? I want the kids living with me. I do not want them living primarily with Fred. I would like to have Fred move out. I would like to remain in the home with the kids because they go to Bedrock Public School and I do <laughs> not want them to go to that other school on the other side of the tracks. And by the way, I bought the house. Yes, it's in his name or in my name or whatever his name. It doesn't matter. On the subject of the kids, I want them with me because uh, I am their mother. And Fred, yes, he was at home. I also always hucked him to go and get a better job. He never wanted to. And at the end of the day, I was really busy at the medical office in any event. So it worked out. But um, I want to know what my rights are. And I would tell her her rights, and I'm not going to fill the cyber world with all of that right now. But the purpose of this vignette with Leanne is to say that whatever those rights are, Wilma being married, how is that any different than for Diane? It's not different. Um, you know, the, the, with respect to decision making and parenting time, both Jack and Diane are the parents. Um, and so, again, um, it would be the same type of situation as it is with Fred and Wilma, that they're, you know, they both are going to have rights to be spending time with the children and with decision making. And uh, it at common law, there's no difference um, with respect to how that works out uh, in that situation. So just to recap, the property rights between common law and married very different. The cost of pursuing a remedy as a common law spouse, as, a, as, a, as against their separating spouse, with respect to unequal ownership of assets and a differential in net worth at the end of the relationship, is a very costly and unknown endeavor. And I say this having litigated and gone to trial many times on behalf of common law spouses who make what Leanne described as a claim under a doctrine called constructive trust or resulting trust or unjust enrichment, all of which are equitable or common law claims, very different than the statutory right that Fred and Wilma have to one another. So those two bodies of law, very different, but on the subject of support and parenting, the rights are equivalent in Ontario. Now, uh, we had a question from somebody saying, well, what happens if Jack and Diane get married during the time that they're together? That's no different than Fred and Wilma. But remember, on the property side, it's from the date of marriage to the date of separation. And if they got married in year six and they split up at year 10, then the two goalposts are from the date of marriage to the date of separation, which is only four years, which is going to be a very different calculation than if they got married from the day they started living together at the beginning of the 10-year relationship. Yes, and then, but then on the support front, it, it takes into account the length of the relationship. So in terms of determining how long um, Fred might be entitled to spousal support, it wouldn't just be the four years they were married, it would be the whole 10-year time that they were living together that gets factored in. And in fact, I just had a case that was in the middle of a trial that settled whereby the duration of the spousal relationship was 30, uh, 23 years, but the period of marriage was 13. 
So we had two different durations, one duration to determine support and another duration to determine property division. And so um, to the question from the viewer about what if they get married in the middle, that's the answer. But may I suggest for all of the above, um, it's been my experience that where there is a significant change like that, that it should be one that is coupled with a cohabitation agreement or a marriage contract, whether it's to be more generous or to be more conservative, one way or the other, you do not want to leave Jack and Diane at the end of their 10-year cohabitation and four-year marriage in the hands of lawyers who will bicker over what should be the remedy to these two people should they split up. And it's a very smart move, no different than getting a will and a power of attorney to be done to get a cohabitation agreement or a marriage contract put together for a very small amount of money compared to what they're going to end up spending at the end of the relationship if they cannot agree. Because we do not want common law people to spend, you know, 20, 30, 40 percent of their accumulated net worth on legal fees to try to iron out what the remedies are. Exactly. I mean, that's so true. So I think we should end on that note, because that's such an important point for listeners to uh, keep in mind if they're in this situation. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Divorce Explained. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to head on over to Instagram and follow at Steve Benmore and at Leanne Townsend Life for more. And if you're looking for specific divorce services, you can visit benmore.com and leannetownsend.ca. We hope today's episode made you feel informed and inspired as you move along through your divorce journey. Tune in next week for Divorce Explained.